refamiliarize ourselves with the story. So it's Ruth chapter 1. It's the eighth book in the Old Testament. It's between Judges and Samuel. Feel free to use the table of contents. No, it's hard to overstate as we get ready to read this, just the beauty and power of this one little story in the Old Testament. It's 3,000 years old, and she's still being talked about. You've got an ancient love story. I mean, how Boaz met Ruth. Uh, you've got all the drama of suffering, of tragedy, of trial and loss, and how God, through death, brings resurrection to Naomi's life. Um, there are themes you'll find. How should, how should we re- treat and relate to outsiders? And Ruth addresses racism. Uh, how, how should you treat the poor? Um, I mean, really, as we look at this book of Ruth, it's only four short chapters. I'll encourage you to read it. Uh, or if you don't like to read, they, they have this thing called the, the Internet. It'll read it to you <laughs> at esvbible.org. Um, but it, it's just an amazing story that, that, that it's teaching us, saying, and this is how you live all of your life, every single aspect, in light of God's story, that he is redeeming for himself a people from every tribe, language, and nation across the world to worship the king, whose Ruth is, Ruth is a part of that story. It's a great story. And so, really, this book is about this big God who controls nations, kings, and kingdoms. And we get to see how he cares about people like us, stuck in the mundane, in the middle of nowhere, two widows and a farmer. It's great. So let's read it, and let's get acquainted with this story. So it's God's word. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, one The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house, and may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to, to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? 
Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on till they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter, for the Lord Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, which means pleasant, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And this is God's word. Uh, It's absolutely true, and he gives it to us because he loves us. Let's pray. Father, I I pray that you would show us how your grace uh, meets us right where we are, stuck in the ordinary, trying to make sense of of our lives, of, of the mundane. For we come here with all kinds of cares and concerns about ourselves, our loved ones. And so we need you to speak to us. We need your Holy Spirit to open our eyes, to show us the beauty of the gospel, to see how Ruth points us to Jesus. So help us to see that this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Ruth is a story, so we're, we get to talk about stories this morning. Everybody loves stories. I mean, it's, for whatever reason, it just seems to be much more easier. It's easier to follow. Let me fix my English here. It's much easier to follow than, in a lot of ways, like a, a strict theological, logical, um, organized com- communication, right? It's not a lecture. Now, if it's a good story, it's going to keep you awake. We love stories. Right? Netflix makes its living off of stories. We binge watch stories. Uh, Stories are everywhere, and so as we get started to talk about Ruth, I want you to start thinking about your life as a story, because we do this naturally. When when I got here, part of the joys and privileges of just being a pastor is you've been sharing your stories with me. This is how you have conversations. Who are you? Where are you from? Uh, what do you do? Why do you do what you do? I mean, it's really simple things. And then the longer we get to hang out, you tell me more details. I mean, some like Naomi, some like Ruth. Uh, good news, bad news. But the point is that life is a story. And we live in a world that's trying to help you and tell you how to make sense of your story. And that's what Ruth is going to do, is, is help us make sense of what's happened to us in light of the true story, the gospel, God's story. 
Right? And so we need help with that because we live in a world that's trying to tell you why your life is significant and what will make your life significant and what will make your life meaningful. All right? You ever see a commercial on TV? It's kind of funny. You think about it. You've got this problem, dirty dishes. The mom is strung out. Her hair's a mess. The kids are a mess. They're disobeying. And there's, the house is just, you know, there's filth and food everywhere. The husband's not paying any attention. He runs off. He goes off to work. He's overworked. You know, and the question is, of this one little minute long vignette is, who's going to save her? Who's going to help this poor mom get some kind of sanity back in her life? Enter the dish soap. <laughs> and by the end of this little short story, she's beautiful. The kids magically obey. The food looks delicious. Her husband's home. He's hugging and kissing her again. <laughs> right? it's, it's a false gospel. If you buy, I don't know what dish soap it is. Apparently, I wasn't paying attention. But if you buy this, your life will have meaning. It'll have significance. You'll have joy again. It's a silly example, but that's exactly what we do. I want to find something in this life that'll get me out of bed in the morning to help, help me make sense of what's going on. Help me make sense of why I go to work, why I get out of bed in the morning, why, why, why are you here? It's something that will redeem our story, something that will make it a good story, something that will make it a story worth telling that you aren't ashamed to speak up when you first meet people. Right? I mean, in literature, in, in English class, we call that the plot. Right? What, what drives you to do what you do? Why does, why does the prince go to save the princess in the castle? He wants love. Right? He wants to save the princess. She's beautiful. He wants power and control if you're Farquaad from Shrek. Um, he, this, is, this is what drives our stories. Why, why do you do what you do? Because what we do, we hope, will make our story worth telling. If you want an idea, we can just, just to stir your thinking. Who do you want your life to look like? What's your, what's your idol? LeBron James. Uh, Donald Trump. Right, maybe you want great hair, slick back. <laughs> Hillary Clinton. I don't, know, I don't know what your celebrity, maybe it's Steve Jobs. Maybe it's like your boss at work. Maybe it's, it's a close friend whose life just seems much more shinier and prettier than yours. Maybe, I mean, Christians have, have this thing. We want our stories to be worth telling, so we have Christian celebrities. I want to preach like Tim Keller. I'm not that smart. Um, that's, that's how the Christian publishing industry makes its money. These great teachers, people want to be like them, so we buy their stuff. Or even great men and women of the past, Jim Elliott. The missionary gave up everything. He is no fool to give up what he... Yeah, I'm going to butcher it. I, either way, so he gave up everything. and gave up his life for these Indians, these Native Americans in South America. And we look up to them. Because we say, if I live like them, then I'll have a story worth telling. And the problem is, most of us, all of us, I'm going to say 99% to cover my base, bases here, we're from, we're from a place like Moab. 
That's Boston Spa. The middle of nowhere in, in upstate New York. I mean, we're surrounded by shakers and movers in Albany, but really it's just a small town. In Moab, we're going to talk about some strange Old Testament things. It'll be fun and, and humbling, but think about this. Moab is kind of like, I'm trying to figure out, it's, it's like what the West Virginia of the Middle East. In the sense of, people don't go there saying that, that, I've arrived. Sorry if you're from West Virginia. I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on you. It's just saying it's not New York City. It's, it's not the place where the powerful live. It's not a place you go to be successful. In our story, Ruth here, Naomi, Ruth, Orpah, Boaz, all these people, are, they're like us. They're, they're nobodies from Nowhereville. Moab. The only reason we're still talking about Moab is because it's in the scriptures. I mean, these are people who live their lives. Their, their stories happen to be wove together. They eat, they drink, they get married, they suffer, they struggle, and then they die. In the middle of nowhere in a small town. And because Ruth is connected to God's story, we're still talking about it. Right. And this is, what we, this is what we're going to look at this morning is how do we, as people being from, from Boston Spa, which is a great town, we love living here. Please don't, don't hear that in the other way. How does God redeem ordinary people? How does God make your story worth telling? A story that will be told with great joy for eternity. And that's what Ruth is going to help us. So I've got three points. We'll, we'll look at this. One, let's talk about Moab. Because nobody talks about Moab. You have no idea. We, we just don't. Even, even if you're a Bible expert, I had to do a lot of research for this. But Ruth, she's from Moab. And Moab was a small nation to the southeast of modern-day Israel. It's modern-day Jordan. So you can picture you got the... Uh, the Mediterranean, the nation of Israel here, the Dead Sea is right next to it, and then just to the other side, you should probably be standing this way, just to the other side is Moab. And there's three important details you need to help understand Ruth. One, Moab, the word itself, means who's your dad? Who's your father? I mean, I'm giving you the emphasis, but it means who, who is your father? And Moab's father in the Bible, you can find this in Genesis 19, is, is Lot. Right? Lot, after Sodom and Gomorrah, the city is destroyed, is living in a cave with his two daughters. This is, a, this is a, an adult story here, but basically these daughters have no hope of having children. And so they get their dad drunk, and they, have, they get pregnant, and they have two sons, uh, Moab and Ammon. And so Moab is the oldest. And so the Bible's supposed to be funny. Who's your daddy? Moab. Lot. Th this, is, this is Ruth's family tree. And so you get this idea. This is... Ruth has very humble and humiliating circumstances. And her story, this is not something you lead with in conversation. Nobody in that day would say, I'm proud to be a Moabite. Because it's saying, this is, my, my family tree is a mess. 
Now, we've, we've talked about shame before, but you're starting to get an idea of what shame is like. Shame is something that just gets detached to us just by virtue of being human. And in Ruth's case, it was by being born in the country of Moab, a place that has a humiliating backstory. And maybe you can understand this. Uh, you start talking to the poor. Uh, start talking to anybody from a small town. You say, I don't want to live here. I want to get out of here. They have family situations because that have flown out and some of it, the effects of poverty is this kind of stuff happens. And if that's your story, that's shame. And nothing to do with the fact that you were just born. This is Ruth. I mean, what's in your story that you're ashamed of? Because to be human is to have that as part of our story. This is the life for Ruth as a Moabite, a nobody from nowhereville. So second, you've got to know Ruth's history. You've got to know Ruth's people, the current history. And you're going to learn that Moabites, well, they're not the strong and powerful. They're not military geniuses put this nicely. Because around the time that Ruth lived, Moab had conquered the nation of Israel. Right, so if you think of the history, it was God redeemed his people from Egypt, brought them out. They did the years in the desert. They came into the promised land. Um, Joshua was the, went from Moses to Joshua, and now there's no leaders. Right, and Israel had sinned, They'd run away from God, and this, he allowed this foreign nation, Moab, to come in. And they were, Moab were, were bullies. They were, they were bullying and oppressing and killing and, and stealing from their neighbors. Right, and so you can find the story of how this happened in Judges chapter 3. It's a great story. It's the story of Ehud, the left-handed judge. Right, and so think about this trying to make this personal and see that just, these are people just like us. Because when you have a story that you don't want to talk about, when you have things that you're ashamed of, like I do, I mean, just because you're poor doesn't mean you're not proud. Right? And, and when you get angry that you're not in control, you do everything you can to get into control. And for Moab, this was their moment. They finally had control. They had somebody that they could say, I'm better than them. Look at us, we're in control. And so the king of Moab, his name was Eglon. And Eglon was leading this oppression of Israel. And Eglon means calf. Right, I'm going to put some paperwork up on the website. You can, you can have this for you. You'll be able to, to look it up. But Eglon means calf, a baby cow. All right, so Colin, you got a name for your cow at the fair next year. <laughs> All right. And this is how he's described. He was a very fat man. <laughs> he's not the rock. He's not a military. He's not a fierce warrior. And so I want you to see this. Israel, I know it's, it's it, in our p political correct culture, you're not supposed to call people fat. But what it's doing is making fun of Israel. They're saying they're so weak and so incompetent, they can't even fight off somebody who's not even a warrior. All right? 
He's not even a fully grown cow. This is a calf who's been fatted for the slaughter. He's shaped like Garfield. He's not threatening. <laughs> and so what happens is God raises up Ehud, this Israelite, to, to deliver them, to save them from this bully, Eglon. Ehud is a left-handed deliverer because his right hand is crippled in some way. He has a disability of some sort. And so what, what Ehud does is he makes this assassin's sword. It's sharp two edge. It has sharp on both edges. He hides it on the side that nobody would think to check. He just looks weak. He doesn't look like he's threatening at all. And he goes into Eglon and says, with the tribute, and says, okay, oh great king, I have a secret message for you. And Eglon, being the military genius that he was, says, okay, everybody leave. He sends out all of his um, servants, and Ehud and Eglon are alone. And Ehud jams the sword right into Eglon's belly. And it, this is the description. The fat folds over the hilt of the sword, and the dung came out. And then Ehud makes his exit out the back, and all of his servants just think Eglon's stuck in the bathroom. Because it just stinks. And then it gets embarrassing, and then they finally say, okay, we've got to check on this guy. And he's dead. And by that time, Ehud has raised up an army and he sets his people free. Right. This is Moab's story. <laughs> right. Fatted calf slaughtered. <laughs> slaughtered. Not, not, not the brightest, not the best. I mean, they are weak. This was Ruth's king. And this was happening right around this time of the story. And this is what I want you to see. The Moabites were losers and nobodies. Right, even when they got to the top, they, they barely held on to it. And the reason it's included in the book of Judges is to heap shame on God's people uh, for, for not listening to the Lord and showing how weak and needy God's people were. Right. So you get an idea. Do you want to be from Moab? I mean, this is, this is sad. I mean, these are real people who are really struggling, just trying to make it, and, and they have a depressing family history. This is Ruth. Yeah, one more detail. It's important here. Their God, their God's name was Chemosh. All right, this is, this is going to help you feel Ruth's shame, because Moabites in the Bible were, all, were called the people of Chemosh. And regularly, this is how the Israelites, the Hebrews, talked about him. Right? This is how they talked about Moabites. Chemosh was filth, trash, loathsome, gross. And so you got this picture. Ruth is from Moab, whose family tree doesn't fork. The land of filth. These people are gross, they're unclean, we don't want them near us. In Deuteronomy it says they weren't allowed to come into the worship, into God's temple, because of their sin. And then in Isaiah 25, God promises that Moab's future is to be, well, with Chemosh, is to be trampled. Their destiny is a manure pit, a dunghill. It's a picture of final judgment. And I know this is foreign, this is a weird way to think, but it's just saying this, as you have treated people like dirt, God will do so to you. 
As you have treated me like dirt, God will do so, do likewise to you. And he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. It's the language of shame. This is Ruth. She's an outsider. Uh, she's cursed, not allowed to come into God's presence. Banned from the worship of Yahweh, she's from the land of gross, of filth, just dripping with shame, just by virtue of being born. She hasn't even done anything yet. She hasn't even lived her life. She hasn't yet suffered, as we read. She will suffer. She's going to deal with the shame of childlessness, uh, deal with the shame of losing a husband in a world where if you lose your husband, it's your fault. So here's my question for you this morning. How do you make sense of your story? How do you find significance when the world around you is telling you that you don't matter? When you tell yourself that I'm filth, I'm trash, I can't believe I did that again. I mean, you can argue that the answer isn't God. I mean, this is what people will do. They'll say, you know, I have my freedom to make my life how I want, to, want it to be. But I would argue that if you are from a place like Moab, you don't have that option. And there are places like that all over the world. There are places like, there are neighborhoods like that just, just across the block where people will never get up and get out. So I want to push, I want you to think about this with me. Push, push this. If God does not come and interact with you and say, you are mine, you are now part of my story, how do you make sense of all these details? How do you find significance? How do you know that you matter? I mean, there are all kinds of ways to try. I mean, the, the ancient Greeks would say that history was cyclical. Right? It just repeats itself. I and mean, we say the same thing, right? So on that point, why does it matter what you do? if history is just going to repeat itself. People are always going to return and do the same thing. Uh, some of the other things have said Aristotle. He said some people were just born to serve. So you're from Moab, you better just deal with it and get used to it. This is where fate has put you. Or the Eastern view of history is that you must have done something bad in another life. We call it karma. The things, the shame that you were born into, well, it's your fault from another life. And we may not be from the East, but we talk about that all the time. You know, I must have been a real jerk to deserve this. Or our secular culture. I mean, they want, they're selling you dish soap, they're selling you sports, they're selling you music, I mean, fame and fortune. But they're saying that life is just a short story that has an end. And that, that life began in insignificance because everything's just an accident. We're from lucky mud. And so that means your life begins in insignificance. It ends with insignificance. And everything in between, you're supposed to find that you matter. I mean, the, the good news of just the fact that Ruth is recorded in history, the Bible's view of history, is that everything from beginning to end, from birth to death, matters. 
because God is the author and because he has written you into it and because you are eternal. You, you will live forever based on how you respond to this God. Because right? if you don't have something outside of you to write significance into your life, well, you're going to live forever in Moab and never get out. Right. I mean, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the highlight of his creation, the highlight of the Milky Way, the Himalayan mountains, the Grand Canyon, everything that we see that is beautiful, and all the complexities, the highlight of God's creation is human beings. He said, behold, it was very good. Let us make man in our image. You matter because by virtue of being human, you have been written into God's story. I mean, just by saying these things, just by the fact that Ruth has been written down, it's trying to tell you and I that whether you believe in God or run away from him, or whether you are nice to your neighbor or not, whether you have positive thoughts or negative thoughts, every single detail matters in light of eternity because of God. Because the real God, the biblical God, is deeply invested in and interested in you and me, in people like Ruth, in people from Moab. I mean, this is 3,000 years later, we're still talking about Ruth. What an honor. I mean, this is a, a deeply pastoral story as we're going to get into this. Because like I said before, as we read Exodus, Ruth was read every year to remind everybody in the nation of Israel that the God who redeems nations cares about widows, cares about farmers, cares about death and sorrow and work, every detail. I mean, so this is what you and I need to hear. I mean, there's no significant figures in Ruth. There's no fiery prophets. There's no big kings. There's no, it, it's just a small story that takes place in a small, small piece of human history that God has written in significance because this is the kind of God he is. And so I just want to encourage you, friends, right? If you're a parent, all Ruth did, Ruth did, right? She just lived her life. She married, she, she went to work, she, she lost, she remarried, she raised kids, and she died. That's it. She, she trusted her God. So that God, I want you to see that God is using your parenting, your long hours at work, your faithfulness to him, uh, your faithful love of hurting people, your marriages, your singleness, every single detail he is using, he's redeeming. He's saying, you are mine if you will trust me. And really, he's even using your foolishness. <laughs> For those of you who have Moabite family stories, who feel like you're on the outside, you don't know, yet know this God, I want you to see that Ruth, an outsider, 
And she's not a Hebrew. She has the honor in the Old Testament of making one of the most beautiful statements of faith. Even greater than Abraham, I, I would argue. I mean, in the Old Testament, the outsider is brought in and her acts of faith are so honored. She's up here. God raised the poor up out of the ash heap. It's beautiful. This is how God works. This is how God writes stories. He takes those who are down, who are humbled, and says, if you will humble yourself, admit you need my help, admit that you have been running away from me, and I will lift you up even to, into heaven itself. That's the story of the gospel. That God himself saw us as so significant, he wrote himself into the story, into history. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave up his only begotten son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. Even in a place like Moab or Balsam Spa. And the beauty of that story is is that Jesus, as it's a true story, he came from heaven to earth, he lived a perfect life in the middle of nowhere. 30, 30 years of, of insignificance, really. He was just swinging a hammer. He was a blue-collar guy. And even in his ministry, it didn't, it didn't expand. It didn't, he didn't have a worldwide uh, global attention span. People weren't... He was, fam he was a local celebrity. And then he died, and everybody thought it was a waste. But we know, on this side of the story, <laughs> that Jesus died as a Moabite. I mean, do you see that? That Jesus came in order to die like a Moabite, a nobody. Cut off from God himself, bearing all the wrath of God. For those things that we do not want to tell people that are in our story. So that we might... So that Jesus' story might become our story. So that you might be known not as a Moabite, but as God's son. That you would have a God who says, I am not ashamed to be associated with you. It's my delight. It's my honor. It's my joy. And I want to spend eternity with you. We need... We need Ruth, because we live in the days of the judges. In the days of the judges, it, 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 the book ends, it says, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. There was no clear understanding, clear um, agreement on what was true and what would make your life significant. And it was just chaos. Moral chaos, spiritual chaos. You read chapters 19 through 21, Veggie Tales will not make that video, I guarantee you. <laughs> right, it's the priest, the Levite. He has a girlfriend, a live-in girlfriend. And when the opportunity comes to protect her, he pushes her out. She's assaulted and killed in Israel. And to let everybody know about this tragedy, she, her body is, is cut up into little pieces and sent across Israel, and a, a civil war about breaks out. That Israel has become just like Moab. And what you and I need, then, when life is chaotic when you can't make sense of life spiritually and morally, we need the gospel to make sense of our story. You need it. 
You need God to tell you that when you get up in the morning on Monday, that how you do your job matters. Because he loves you. He died for you. And he says, you are now my Lord. I am now your Lord. Sorry, I said that backwards. Right? I mean, this is the beauty of of Ruth. It's It's ultimately not about, just about Ruth. It's about the one who is to come. Because if you get to the end of Ruth, Ruth chapter 4, you have this really weird addition. It's just a list of names. And we find out that Ruth's story, all these things she did unnoticed in a random corner of the world, were all done as part of of the Messiah's family history. She is King David's great-grandmother. And King David is in the line of the Messiah, and you will find that Ruth, then, is in the literal family tree of Jesus. You'll find it the same words quoted in Matthew. That her story has become God's story. And God's story has become her story. That's what the gospel does. So I'll end with this. Where, where are you trying to find meaning and significance from your story? Is it your stuff? Is it your job? Uh, Is it your kids? Becky Pippert once said that whatever you, I'm going to paraphrase it, whatever you think will give you significance, whatever you think you are going to live for and will make your life worth telling, it's going to actually turn on you and, and, and you're going to become the slave and that thing will become the master. And it's going to lead you into places of shame. Meaning if, if you think power, if you think I need, just need to get my life under control is going to make sense of your story, you look at Moab. They had control for a brief glimpse and look what happened. It all fell apart. You will not find a significance, a Lord, a God, a King like Jesus. He says, I accept you just as you are, in spite of your fears and your failures. I am the king. Trust me. Where are you trying to find significance? This is redemption according to Ruth. I've completely abandoned my notes. That's why I'm trying to figure out where I am. (laughs) But look, if we had the pressure, if you have the pressure, which you do according to our culture, to write your story in a way so that it is worth living, don't screw it up. And what makes redemption according to Ruth so different, so beautiful, so glorious, is that all she did was say, I trust the God of the Bible, and she was swept into a story of grace, part of God's grand plan to make all things new. And Ruth teaches us it's not about being a celebrity. It's not about how great your faith is. It's not about how awesome you live this Christian life. It's just about belief. It's just about faith. Because the big stories of faith, says Charles Williams, are great. It would be phenomenal to be a celebrity to be talked about later. But Ruth had no idea. (laughs) God's unknown saints are the church's real power. And so the fact that you are like me from a place like Moab, 
you are in exactly the right place. You are the kind of person that God delights in, pouring out all of his goodness, all of his joy, and all of his honor to turn your shame, turn your shame into rejoicing through the coming King, Jesus. Let's pray. And Father, this was a big introduction, just trying to get a picture of uh, what, where Ruth is from. And so many of us have things in our, in our history, in our stories, in our families that we are deeply ashamed of. And I pray that you would help us see that our deep longing is to be a part of your story, the story that lasts, the story that ends. Well, it ends with joy. It ends with the King, the Holy One, looking at us, rejoicing and smiling and saying, I am so glad you are here, that you are mine. So thank you, Lord, for being a God who is mighty to save. Who's wrapped us in his arms and poured out, poured out your kindness in us in Christ. And I pray for all of us that we would then lurk, look, look to find our significance in, in the everyday life uh, through the fact that you know us, that you are our God and we are your people. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.